Hey everyone and welcome back to another episode of Bayou Chronicles. We're your hosts. I'm Bethany. And I'm Crystal. It's the last week of the month so that means we have a local case for you guys and since you are hearing my voice that means it must be Louisiana week because we're not talking about the Lily 850. <laughs> <laughs> um, but Crystal We're talking a, about the 318. Oh god, yeah. About that Ratchet City. L- less intimidating than 850. Oh well. Well, I don't know. I ain't from the 850, so the 318 Ratchet City sounds real bad to me. <laughs> um, but Crystal has a pretty intense This is the only type she knows, okay? It's either intense or mysterious it's the only two that she has <laughs> it for is. us today that happened right here in shreveport over 35 years ago um before we dive into the case we want to give a shout out once again to everyone who has left us a review over on spotify and apple and if you don't remember we've already announced it um you can now give reviews over on Spotify. It's a new thing. They just started like less than a month ago. It's super easy. Um, yeah, you can. It does. You can't leave like any written thing, but you can give a one through five star review. So yeah, um, keep them coming. We love to see all those five stars, especially over at Apple Podcasts when people can actually like type something out. That's always super nice. Um, we have some exciting things planned for the next few months, and we're trying to make some money moves that help us upgrade the podcast, and also doing some traveling, but that's like, you know, material girl stuff. <laughs> um, well, I'm going to hand thanks over to Crystal that she can just get us started with this week's episode. Yeah, but it's a long one, so I'm going to like try to be quick and to the point. Um, if you are from Shreveport, you may or may not know about this. To be completely honest, I did not know about this person until I started like digging into Shreveport's history a little bit more. Um, and I'm actually kind of shocked that this happened here and I did not know about I it. I have no idea. I'm going to be honest. Yeah, like I'm, I was pretty shocked. I went down the rabbit hole, you guys. Oh, God. So, okay. Probably right. So, um, I'm going to tell you guys a little bit about our person first and I'm going to do this a little bit differently. Um, then I probably would do a normal episode. I'm going to tell you about our person who, obviously, if you clicked on today's episode, you know we're doing this episode about Nathaniel Code. So I'm going to tell you a little bit about him first. I'm going to go through the whole story as if we don't know who he is and then, like, be like, surprise, y'all. Like, <laughs> this is who it is, okay? So just bear with me today. So Nathaniel Code was born and raised here in Shreveport in the Bel Air part of town. Um, there really wasn't that much about him online. It was weird, like, for once, you don't really, I didn't really know a whole bunch about the actual person who committed these crimes, so that was actually kind of refreshing, because I didn't have to go through eight pages of who he was, um, other than a piece of crap. Um, according to an online article, though, that I found uh, a couple years ago, Code had a pretty rough childhood, though. Um, according to some reports, (laughs) some of the reports said that he was a good kid, other kids, the other one said that he was a pretty crappy kid. His stepmom and one of his best friends growing up said that he was really just like a misunderstood teenager. Like he was just kind of angsty, I guess, and people didn't really understand him. Um, again, I don't know exactly like, you know, what angsty and misunderstood means, but um, other reports also claimed that he did the whole normal serial killer like setting like animals on fire thing so i don't know if they think that's angsty and like misunderstood but 
he, he, he was weird. Um, <laughs> he's just weird. It's all you need to know. It is, because um, that's... That's not angsty, in my opinion. It's just um, weird. But other people also reported that he was a huge bully. And that as he got older, he was just more and more of a bully. So, again, like I said, he was just a crappy person. Um, while he was never officially named a suspect, people in the neighborhood first suspected him of being a killer when he wasn't even a teenager. He was still, like, 12 years old. There is a known pedophile that lived in the neighborhood that would, like, target little boys. And he would, like, get them things in exchange for sex. So, like, you want drugs? We have to have sex. You want alcohol? We have to have sex. And he would just buy them all kinds of things. And he would always deny, like, like deny that, like, he was asking sex. But, like, at the same time, the kids knew if they wanted something, this is how they could get it. Well, one day this man was mysteriously found um, dead with his head beaten in. Like, it turns out that he had been killed with, like, a big iron skillet. And, like, his head was, like, so beaten in. Like, he was, like, unrecognizable. Like, someone, like, destroyed this man's head. Um, Well, they used to call this man Granny. Like, I don't ask you why, I don't understand, but his nickname was Granny. Well, after Granny was killed and found dead, people in the neighborhood started calling Code, like Nathaniel Code, they started calling him Granny 2. That's so, that's weird. So, like, it was Granny and then Granny the number 2. So, Granny 2. Weird. Very weird. Um, so, just because, like, this happened obviously didn't necessarily mean that he killed him. And, obviously, police would have arrested him if they would have thought he actually was a suspect. But, like, for the most part, this was, like, neighborhood gossip. Um, by the time that Nathaniel Code was 19 years old, he had definitely made his way into this life of crime. Um, by 1975, Code had made the decision, and I'm saying that because he didn't just do it, he made the decision, made the decision to break into the home of a local woman and, like, viciously rape her. He was caught and arrested and convicted to 15 years in prison for this. Um, around this time of the trial, Code was actually diagnosed schizophrenic, like, schizophrenic, um, and this diagnosis did not seem to, like, affect his sentencing or how it would happen or the fact that, you know, he would even, like, change anything about his sentence. So, he was sentenced and to those 15 years in prison, and he would serve out most of them in most of those years in one of the country's, really, most well-known prisons, Angola. Unfortunately, just eight years into his sentence, he was released on good behavior. I don't understand that. Nah, I don't either. I mean, I could see good behavior on other stuff, but not, you know, breaking into a woman's home and viciously raping her. But, yes. So, Code is now 28, and he was back in Shreveport, and he was trying to find a way to support himself. He would work, like, the odd job here and there. He would, like, do people's grass, and he would, you know, change people's oil. Just, like, stuff that would make him money. But he could never really find a job because he had a criminal a past. Criminal. Um, strangely enough, though, he was a, he was released from prison on my birthday. Okay. <laughs> um, so, fun stuff. I wasn't even, like, 
a thought in my mom's eye, like mine, like, like twinkle in her eye at the time. But my mom was a teenager at this point in time. Um, so she better not have been thinking about babies. Um, but it was only take code eight months to commit his first murder. And so, uh, this case, I will say here, is very comical to me because, um, really, Car? Like, of all things <laughs> of noises. I hate when people make that noise, noise of, like, my car is so cool. But anyway, um, this is one of those cases, like, you know when you, like, are like reading about a case and someone gets caught and you're like really that's how you got caught like you're just stupid okay this is one of those and the reason it like kind of cracked me up that this happened at this time is because a friend of mine sent me a tiktok and it was joking about how killers got caught back in like the 1980s how they were really actual losers because of the lack of science that we had like we didn't have the same kind of science that we do today so if you got caught like pre-1990s really you were just an idiot like you were an actual idiot um and that is kind of all i was thinking about the entire time is that not everybody can be the golden like he just wasn't a good criminal like he just kind of sucked at being a criminal like this plain and simple so um we are going to talk about a couple of murders today so be prepared i'm also going to give you the trigger warning that we do are talking about the murder of children as well too so sorry but it is important to the story um so our first lady we're going to talk about is deborah ford and deborah ford was a true badass woman so nana i'm sorry if you're listening i know you don't like that word (laughs) but she really was like this was the coolest woman i probably i wish i would have met her um her sister described her as someone who could bench press the average weight of a woman like she could like bench press like 150 pounds like she like she was strong um she was known to play touch football with men like full grown men okay um she was not an easy target in my opinion like this was like a like yeah i'm trying to think of overpowering this woman like Like, i don't think i like i don't think i could as a woman like she Mm -hmm. was she was like crazy like crazy good um but deborah lived in the cedar grove area of shreveport um which at the time and still kind of now is known as a pretty rough area of town um her home was actually a gift from her father as an investment property so that she would have a way to build a like sense of like i guess you could call it generational wealth for her family um, like he wanted her to have a piece of property that was like that could be like an investment that she could put money into, rent out, and you know just have like a like a what's it called a um, passive income for okay. her for her and her family. Well, the house wasn't in the best shape, and they were still in the process of fixing it up. They were able to secure some of the windows. Um, but one in particular in the bathroom was held shut with a piece of wood wedged vertically into the frame to kind of like keep it closed. Um, and that's how it was done. And her family and her dad and her sister really didn't want her to live there, but she wanted to just have a place to live while she fixed it up. Um, now Deborah did have two kids as well too, two little girls and her daughters did not live with her in the house. They actually lived with her grandmother, their grandmother, so that they could go to better schools. 
but they did spend time with her in this house. She's also too. fixing the house. But yeah, yeah, she's also fixing yeah. the house. She wasn't gonna let her kids live in this this house. Yeah. Um, and she actually for um, I don't really talk about it in my notes, but she actually didn't even sleep in a bedroom. She slept on the couch in the living room. Like that okay. was where she slept every night. Um, but on August the thirtieth, nineteen eighty four, it really started off like any everyday average day for them. Um, Deborah and her daughters, Nikki, who was nine, and Crystal or Shane or Sean, sorry, Sean is what I, that what the court documents referred her to. Um, but I also found other stuff that named her Crystal, and I guess that's how you would say it. Um, so I'm just gonna call her Sean. Um, she was five at the time and they happened to be going school shopping that morning with Danny Ware, who was Sean's father. Okay. So the four of them went, like, went back to school shopping that whole day and they spent the whole day together, had just like a family day, went to eat, all that kind of stuff. Um, when they returned back to Deborah's house, it was about 8.30 at night and Nikki ran inside to grab some things that she had left there before Danny was going to drive the girls to Nikki's or not Nikki's, to Deborah's grandmother's house. Yeah, yeah. because that's where they were going to go for the night. That's when she walked into the bathroom and noticed that the window was open, and she closed it and put the wooden stick back in place. She specifically remembered doing that. After the girls left for the night, Deborah would spend the next three hours talking to friends of hers and some neighbors um, until about 12.30 in the morning. Um, at some point during the night, the killer shook loose the wooden stick, like you could like wiggle the, the bottom of the window and it would eventually shake it loose. So he shook it loose, climbed into the house and quietly stuck, snuck into Deborah's room, which happened to be the living room, Mm -hmm. um, and started attacking her. However, Deborah was not going to go down without a fight, obviously. We, I just talked about how crazy built this woman was. She was not going to go down without a fight. During the struggle, the entire living room was destroyed. Stuff, furniture was knocked over. The couch was, like, the cushions were off and just everywhere. Glass was broken. Like, she put up a fight. Um, the, the fight obviously had an effect on her body as her body was covered completely in bruise and defensive marks. But during the process, the killer actually used an electrical cord to tie up her hands and was able to gag her with her nightgown. He pulled her over to the couch, and that's when he began to stab her 16 times in the chest and torso. Oh, my God. Despite all of this, she was still alive. Oh, my God. She was still alive for all of this. Being as that she was still alive, the killer then used his knife to cut her throat six times, going Ooh, deeper each time. So overkill. Mm-hmm. He ended up going so deep that he had nearly reached her spinal column. Man, this dude has some serious issues. Anger issues. Yes. So the killer had been watching Deborah actually and her home for a while, and he knew when she was going to be alone. He knew when she, that she was sleeping on the couch and that he was going to be able to be alone with her for a while since she was going to be alone. This is why they really say to switch up your routine, routine like mm-hmm. not to make it obvious. But then I'm like, how do I how not do I make switch it obvious? Yeah. I like my routine. I don't know. I love my routine. Like people like say, take a different way to work sometimes yeah. or stop somewhere new. Yeah. Or, yeah. yeah. That's hard to do though. Um, so 
he did take advantage of the fact that he knew he was going to be by her by himself with her and he really took advantage of this and like completely mutilated her later that morning though around 8 a.m deborah's friend brenda came by because she wanted to use her landline and just wanted to chat with her that morning mm-hmm. when she got up to the door she noticed that it was cracked open and when she pushed it open she heard the stereo and the stereo was on playing music remember this um as brenda opened the door she saw deborah lying on the floor bloody with her nightgown on but it was on inside out when police arrived they went to work trying to collect prints and other evidence around the home they were able to get some palm prints from outside the window that they were hoping would lead to the killer um unknown to them this entire time the killer himself was standing right outside in a small crowd that had formed to watch what was going on okay do mm-hmm. you like i have questions oh he had to have been dirty did he clean up did he have he extra it. clothes with him? he went home and changed i guess so um i don't really go into a lot of the detail of this now because it was hard for me to write easier for me to say but i want to talk about how he um tied up deborah so the way that he did it because like i said it was super hard for me to write is he tied it around one wrist like tied a knot around the one wrist and then he tied it around another wrist like tied a knot on like say on the left and then took the end of it and wrapped it around the right one and tied a knot almost like it was handcuffs. So he didn't like put them over each other and tie them. He tied a knot here and then tied a knot here and where they were connected with a string in the middle. Okay? So that's important to know. So nearly a year later, there were two more murders about a month apart. June 24th, 1985, 48-year-old Wes, Wes Burks was found murdered in his home. Wes had been stabbed several times and bled out all over the floor. On July 18th, less than a month later, Monica Barnum, who was just 20 years old, was discovered dead in her apartment by her own mom. Similarly to to Deborah, Monica was tied up. The killer had used a coat hanger, which was kind of strange, to actually strangle her. Like, he just, like, took it and, like wrapped it around and kind of like used that that to strangle her Mm -hmm. both of these cases ended up going cold though due to lack of evidence and they had no leads the following day after the killing of monica they're just a handful of blocks literally just a handful of blocks away from where deborah ford had been murdered um was the home of vivian cheney she had actually been living here with her 29 year old boyfriend billy joe harris and her 25-year-old brother, Jerry Colbert. Sorry, I could not say that name. <laughs> and her three daughters, 15-year-old Carlotta, or Carlitha, 10-year-old Tamika, mm-hmm. and 7-year-old Maria. Vivian, Vivian, Carlitha, and her brother Jerry all suffered from, like, a severe like sight impairment like they could see but they like they couldn't like it wasn't they didn't have the greatest vision and her two other daughters um suffered from some type of intellectual disability mm-hmm. they didn't say what kind it was um could be a various it, it could thing. be very they were not very specific so i didn't try to diagnose them they just 
yeah. had some type of intellectual disability. Um, at the this point, though, during the night of July 18th and the morning of July 19th, someone found their way um, into the back door of Vivian's home. The killer used a gun that he was carrying um, as a way to, like, control everyone. Um, police theorized that the killer grabbed Carlitha and held her hostage, like, at gunpoint. Um, he had Vivian and Billy tie each other up. Um, and once Billy was tied up um, and on the bed in the bedroom, he was going to be the first person killed. The killer actually used um, the gun to shoot him in the side of the head and in the chest. Um, he ended up using a pillow to muffle the shot. And I'm assuming that was to prevent the two other girls and her brother from waking up. Um, despite being shot four times, Billy was still alive, and the killer um, decided that he was going to cut his throat as a way to finish him off so he would bleed this out. This dude is obsessed mm -hmm. with cutting people's throats. I know. Um, next, the killer moved on to the only remaining male in the house, Jerry. Um, so he quietly walked into his room, um, and he shot him once in the side of the head. So at this point, you have to think... The both of the girls, Carlita and um, Vivian, were both tied up. So he kind of wanted to get rid of everything that he could get rid of. Um, he didn't use a muffle for this gunshot, which is weird because the girls, the two youngest girls, were still asleep. Hmm. So I guess it didn't wake them up. Um, and I'm assuming he probably knew they were there. Just maybe they were too young for him to be considered, like... Want to kill, yeah. yeah. So the exact timeline of what happened is unknown, but the following events of how I go through it are kind of just like, and what I went through before, kind of just like how the investigators pieced it together based off like blood spatter, um, time of death, all that kind of stuff. Um, so Carlita, who remembers just 15 years old, she was found in the front living room. Like the other victims, she was found with her hand tied up in the same distinctive way as Deborah. So, one wrist was tied, and then the other wrist was tied, and then, like, a string in between. Um, and Carlita had her mouth duct-taped over, and her PJs were on inside out when she was found. Now... She was killed by a massive cut to her throat that was so deep that it nearly decapitated her. Oh, my God. Um, Vivian's body, though, was found in the home's bathroom about halfway into the tub. Like her daughter, she was bound in a way, but this time in a way that kind of allowed her to, like, hobble around the house. So she was tied um, on her wrist and her ankles, and she also had one that uh, was around her neck that investigators believed was used to kind of pull her around the house. That's terrible. Police were able to determine that at some point, Vivian was actually seated in her daughter's blood for some time after the killer slit her throat. Based off of um, the blood that was found on her nightgown, it was found like on the butt part and like where her legs would be on her nightgown. Um, and so what they theorize happened is, um, based off blood pooling, what they think happened is he tied them, they were both tied up, he slit Carly at this throat, 
while Vivian was there with her, like sitting in, like obviously she was there sitting in the blood. He went and killed Vivian because she was beaten black and blue. And he used his hands to strangle Vivian and drown her in the bathtub. Um, so basically what they did think is that he was, they'd know he was right hand dominant because they found a left palm print on the bathtub where he probably used to like brace, brace himself, himself. Yeah. and then his right hand to strangle her. Yeah. And then once he had finished that, he actually walked into the living room and they believed that Carlita was still alive because there was two distinct blood pooling as like as she had either crawled to a new area or he had pulled her to a new area and that's where she ultimately died. Mm. Um, so early in the morning of the 19th, Vivian's sister actually came by to surprise them. Um, she had been out of town and she just wanted to surprise the family. Oh, God. As she got up to the door to knock, the door swung open and she heard a stereo playing. Does that sound familiar to yeah. anybody? Once <laughs> um, she saw the horror that she saw in the house, she immediately left. Or she immediately realized that the two young girls, like, were either dead. And that's, like, kind of, like, where she wanted, like, to go. Like, like if you're seeing this and you know there's two babies in the house, you're going to get them. So she ran to the back bedroom, woke the girls up, and, like, hid their faces and rushed them out of the house. And immediately left and called the police. Um, once the police processed the scene, that's when they realized that unlike Deborah's house, there were several things stolen from this house, including a small amount of money and Jerry's wallet. They also found some palm prints that the killer left. It was after these murders that the police started to connect this murder to the murder of Deborah. Um, and they really started to realize they had a problem on their hands. A serial yeah. killer at this point. The yeah. medical examiner did determine that the similarities between this mass murder and the murder of Deborah had to be like signatures. And that the crimes were committed by the, by the same person and a singular person. So, eight months later, the body of... Actually, I wasn't going to tell you this part. But I think I'm going to tell you this part because Bethany's going to find it funny. So we all know who killed these people. We know because you're listening to this episode and it's named after somebody. Um, But after this murder happened, (laughs) this man is, Nathaniel Code, is walking down the street and he is covered in blood. (laughs) And he meets this man that he knows and he tries to sell food stamps. Like, like the actual food stamps covered in blood, a knife, and a wallet with cards in it to this man. And this man's like, no, I don't, I don't need to buy it. I'm, I'm good. I don't need it. And when he asked him why he's covered in blood, he said, I had a problem and I just took care of it. <laughs> this man didn't tell nobody about this until, like, after he was arrested. I can't. I would immediately have called 911. Exactly. I would have, like, casually walked back to my house, like, the fast, casual walk. Like, he could have stopped some of these murders. Like, no yes. joke. No yes. joke. Anyways, I just thought you would get a kick out of that. But anyway, eight months later, the body of Johnny Jenkins was found in his home. His body had been stabbed several times and had been sev- dead several weeks before they found him. At this point, though, police were afraid that the killer was back however that there was not anything that connected this crime to the other ones other than the fact that it had been a stabbing 
Later that year, though, 60-year-old Jake Mills was found stabbed in his home as well. His house showed no signs of forced injury, and it seemed like he had just let someone in their house into his house, and this happened. Okay. August 5th, 1987, which is one of my brother's birthdays, so, like, birthdays are a huge thing in this episode mm-hmm. for me. Yeah. Um, William Code, 73, yes, same last name, just bear with me, um, was doing some outside chores with two young boys that he, that like helped him out a lot. Um, They're actually grandsons of a friend of his. Okay. And they were eight-year-old Eric Williams and 12-year-old Joe Robinson. They were actually going to be spending the night with William, which was something they often did. Um, And at this point during the night, um, at some point during the night, there was a knock at the door, and for some reason, Joe opened the door. Okay. Uh, I don't know. Maybe he like was like just really comfortable. Like, or he could have asked. Or, like, like or the, he knew who it the was. The old man could have asked him to answer. Well, the old man was he, he was asleep. William was asleep. Oh, okay. But I'm just assuming like the only reason he opened the door is because he knew the person. Maybe. Um. So Joe opened the door, and the killer immediately hit Joe across the side of the head. And started to tie him up the same way he did the other victims. Um, he used the loose end of the cord to, like, so that he, you know, like, tied it around his wrist and stuff. He used the loose end of it to tie it around his neck. And he just immediately strangled Joe. And he was covered in bruises from fighting back. When he was found, he was not wearing anything except for a pair of underwear that was turned inside out. So, Eric Williams, who was eight, um, was found in the bedroom in between two twin-size beds in a very similar way that Joe was found. He was bound and strangled. Um, Investigators think that he was completely surprised and he was just drug out of bed, tied up, and then strangled. There was no signs of a struggle and he also was only wearing a pair of underwear. The last to be found was William Code. Um, the killer surprised him while he was sleeping and um, immediately bound him up to prevent him from fighting. Well, actually, he hit him across the head first, but this blow to the head was so bad that if that's where the killer would have stopped, he would have died from that alone. Um, so he must have hit him pretty hard. Um, the killer also beat William like, with his fist, beat him brutally, and ended up stabbing him 13 times all over his body, front and back. Like, he turned him over and stabbed him. serious anger He loves stabbing people, apparently. Investigators knew that due to the brutality of William's murder versus, like, how the boys were killed, that William was the target and the boys were just something that he had to do. Like, Mm. he just had to get rid of them. They also thought that due to how the crime was committed, Admitted that the killer had a personal relationship with William because of how brutal it was. Hmm. Before leaving, the killer stole a few hundred dollars in cash and a gun. Oh, God. <laughs> the next morning, though, um, Eric and Joe's grandmother went to the house because the boys never came home like they were supposed to. It was through a window that she saw Joe's bound up feet. And she ran back to her house to call the police. I can't even imagine seeing that sign. Neither can I. During the investigation, police talked to the neighbors around the area. 
and they spoke with a man named Donald Ray Johnson who witnessed William's grandson, Nathaniel Code, leaving the house around 8 p.m. and he got into a car. And as he drove off, Nathaniel stopped to speak to Daniel and he actually introduced him to his new wife. So Nathaniel had gotten married in between doing all of this. Donald told police all this info because he thought it was very weird that Nathaniel was even there. Several weeks prior to this, Nathaniel and William had gotten into a huge fight because William refused to loan him any more money. The night that he saw him leave, he thought it was weird because um, when Nathaniel left, he closed the like he closed the front door and they had like an iron gate over it and he closed the he closed the iron gate himself which he thought was weird because William always followed people out when they left the house and closed the gate himself because it had problems closing correctly so he thought it was very suspicious that this one time Nathaniel was leaving who really shouldn't even have been there in the first place was leaving and closing the gate himself so yeah. Great observational skills, yep. sir. Great observational skills. While investigating, the police were actually approached by Nathaniel Code, who told them that he was William's grandson. He told the police that he came over to the house after his grandfather called him, complaining that people were hanging out around his house. He said that he got there around 2 a.m. on his bike, looked around the house, and when he didn't see anybody, rode back off on his bike. Since he was the last person to see his grandfather, police wanted to talk to him about that night. Obviously, you're the last person. Let's figure out what you saw. Well, during the conversation, like an idiot, (laughs) he started to mention that while he was inside the house, he touched several items. He's like, I touched this electric fan. I touched this space heater. I touched this TV. I touched this. Well, everything that he touched, strangely enough, were the same items that he used to cut in order to make the rope to tie the victims up. He was probably just trying to explain he his was, fingerprints. He was trying to explain his fingerprints and all these things. And in it, he gave himself away. Exactly. At this point, the police took the fing- took fingerprints from him, and they were able to match them to prints taken at the Cheney murder. Then he was then arrested, obviously, for the murder of the Cheney family. And as they continued to investigate, they were able to match his prints to the ones found outside of Deborah Ford's bathroom window. It would end up being in less than a day after he murdered his grandfather that he would be arrested. Literally less than a day. This is why you don't murder people close to you guys. Like, you're never going to get off on it. Over three years would go by before the trial would ever actually be started for him. During the process, police tried to connect him to the other unsolved stabbings and murders that happened in the area, but they could never find enough um, evidence. They did name him officially as suspects, but the only ones that they actually charged him for um, were... Deborah Ford, or like really new, slitted that were Deborah Ford, the Cheney murders, and his grandfather, and the boys. Um, So they just they just didn't have enough evidence. Um, Less than a month though after the trial started, the jury found him guilty of the Cheney murders. 
He was never prosecuted for the other murders, and I suspect it had more to do with, like, them, like, not wanting to, like, run into, like, a double jeopardy thing, like, charge him for all the murders. He get off and... And if he's already serving time for one, he's not going to get out. Yeah, so. yeah. So they, so they knew, like, if, yeah. you know, if they get him for the Cheney murders and he gets off innocent, they can at least try him for Deborah Ford. And yeah. if he gets off of that, they have three chances, basically. That's a good idea. Um, three days after um, the case, the trial ended, um, the jury actually sentenced him to death after about three hours of deliberation. Over 30 years later, Nathaniel still sits in Angola prison on death row. Um, And that's basically where this ends. Now, he has submitted many appeals. He's had death warrants, like, officially um, issued. Then they've been withdrawn. Then they've been replaced. Then they've been withdrawn again. Um, The last kind of update for this case didn't come was maybe about I guess a little over 10 years ago um it ends with his the families still trying to get justice they are pushing for this death penalty to be carried out but the state of Louisiana has not um actually I was gonna say committed the death penalty but that's not the right term um actually gone through with the sentencing of a death penalty in several years like years and years and years and years and years it used to be all the time yeah like everybody got the old sparky yeah we don't even do that anymore no we do lethal injection, injection but no one's done we've no one in louisiana has gotten that in several years and so that's kind of an issue of like like are they just gonna like up and kill this person or not so, um, that's where we're at now. We're still just trying to push through, figure out if what's going to happen. The family really wants justice, and they they view this as a as a form of justice for them. Would it ha- be having him actually killed? killed? Um, I don't think it would for me. I don't think it but would for me either. Everybody grieves but, differently. Yeah. So, like, this is not us agreeing or disagreeing with the death penalty. This is just saying that I'm just telling you what the family really wants. Um, but that's kind of where we are now. He was a loser and he got caught because you killed somebody that was too close to you. And then he literally killed his grandfather because he wouldn't give him any more money. Yeah. And two small children. And he, he killed his grandfather for about 500 bucks and a gun. Jeez. Yeah. And he killed a whole other family for a wallet with a couple bucks in it. And food stamp cards. <laughs> and then he just, he raped a woman for nothing. And then he killed another woman for absolutely nothing other than the fact that he wanted to murder somebody. And he had already been in prison and they let him out for good mm-hmm. behavior. Imagine if they had never let him out. Back oh, out. imagine all these people would still be alive today. Or the and dude that literally saw him. Yeah. I saw him covered in blood. believe that. Like, I mean, I can. It's Ratchet City. Like, I mean, yeah, I can, but also, like, you see somebody walk. I don't know. You see somebody walking covered in blood, you should probably call the police and tell people. But um, he was never a suspect until he actually killed his grandfather, though. He basically went he, to the he, police and told he, on him. Yes, so. he was like, hi, I'm Nathaniel Cuddy. This is my grandfather. fingerprints on this, it's because I touched it. Because I touched it. it. Like, sir, really? I would have called, like, the CSI department, like, get those immediately. Yes. Test them. Like, there's fingerprints on all of this. Please, please just, yeah, that's him. Like, sir. And I don't know. I guess my entire thing when I was doing this was, like, you could not wear gloves. 
yeah or it's your grandfather's house like even if they did find your fingerprints that's your grandfather's like they would find my fingerprints at my family's homes so like you like literally you could have just processed like even if you would have said oh the last time i was over uh, yeah. i helped him move that or, or not I, like you i wouldn't even have said that I'd be like yeah i was at my grandfather's house i've been you know we got into an argument and you know it, it's just been a lot it's only tough for us right now and left it at that like didn't even say anything else you probably he probably would have been like not okay. He probably still would have got caught. Been a suspect, but, but yeah. he probably would have got away a lot longer than less than twenty four hours. Hey, if you're gonna fingerprint this, or I touched this last night. Yeah, <laughs> no. And I touched this, and I touched this, and they're all things, things that, that casually. Because yeah. even if I would have said that, I would have like named off random things that I probably didn't mm-hmm. even touch, just to like throw off suspicion. Like yeah. I'd have been like. Um, yeah, I touched the TV, and I touched the wall, the and I touched, yeah, and I touched the like refrigerator. That. I would have said big stuff. Yeah, like just like normal things, too, the that you might touch. Or things like that. Yeah, not just list off a name of things that were damaged because you were trying to bind people up. I don't know. It's gross. I didn't know any of this happened in Shreveport, and I, I, I had never heard didn't want to know it. But, yeah. This yeah, was wild. he's apparently labeled the Shreveport serial killer, which I think is the most boring, lame name of all time. Oh, Not man. that he deserves one, but his name is Nathaniel. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like that so, name. <laughs> yeah, so generic. It's Nathaniel. Nathaniel Code. I don't think anybody's missing anything. Um, but that's all I got for that. If you have any other Shreveport cases you would like me to cover, you know let a girl know i'll be doing my next one in march i have plenty for florida so i'm good yeah, <laughs> yeah. i mean i have some a lot of good ones for like the rest of louisiana but i really enjoy doing the shreveport ones because people are crazy here y'all like yeah. i always ask to see if somebody will tell me something for like different parts of florida but every time i ask it somehow ends up being my hometown <laughs> so yeah yeah, that's all I got. It's not nearly as long as I thought it was going to be, probably because I talked fast. It was, yeah, it um, wasn't It was not. She was making it seem like it was a Harry well, Potter I have, book. I have, like, 12 pages of notes, like, but we but know it really them. wasn't, I don't know. You just, like, chatted about it, so yeah. it didn't See, seem... look, I guess I feel like Bethany writes, like, four pages and can talk for 45 minutes, and then I can write, like, 12 pages and talk for 45 minutes. Well, because I don't minutes. write down a lot of what I want to say because I know that I'll just be able to, like, Oh, I can't do Ad-lib that. Ad-lib it? I can't do that. I have to write everything down. So. Everything has to be written down. I don't know. I can't, I can't, um. I, mean, I probably could talk about anything, but I don't know if that's a good or bad <laughs> thing. I don't know. Well, this was our last episode for, for January. Yes. So we will be back for February. And I have a really good case for it. So I haven't even told Crystal. Oh, for your Florida one? No, for, oh, for the, the first for week. the first week. Oh yeah, I forgot. We Big like case. yeah, we didn't But yeah, I do choose, have a good one for Florida too. Okay, I got the two middle ones and I don't know what we're doing yet. <laughs> Someone help me. You have time to think on your travel. Yeah, I know. I do. I don't know what we're doing. I'm hoping I'm gonna have like a cool like one or two down days where I can just like do research, research for fun yeah. and just like research there's a coffee shop in carlisle that i absolutely love it's called denim coffee and i used to love to walk because it's like a little less than a mile or a little over a mile 
Um, and I'm hoping I might be able to I just remember make you the feverishly trek. looking for a Chick-fil-A and a Target last time you were there. Oh, yes. They have them. They have she them. She was so southern. Look, I, I'll be honest. Look, Carlisle, Pennsylvania, I love you. And it's probably one of the only other places that I would like. If someone said, you want to move back there tomorrow, I would. Because they have all my favorite things. They have an Aldi grocery store. Nice. Because I need that in my life. It's a plus. Um, they have a Target, which I love. Plus. And I actually really like their Target. They have multiple Starbucks, which obviously plus, and they have a Chick-fil-A, which the Chick-fil-A has the cheese sauce, which I'm telling y'all, y'all are sleeping on if you've never been to a Chick-fil-A with cheese sauce. Like, I'm telling you, it will change your life. Get chicken nuggets, ask for like a little, like one of the little salad bowl, get the waffle fries, chicken nuggets and like put the waffle fries in the bowl chicken nuggets on top and then you're going to pour the cheese sauce on top and then open a package of the buffalo sauce and pour it on top of that man when i tell you that goes so hard and it is so good (laughs) it's like eight trillion calories but when i tell you my heart like if we do not eat chick-fil-a at least three times over the five days that we are there i will be very surprised (laughs) Because I will be like, hey, can we go to Chick-fil-A? Chick-fil-A. Hey, oh can God. we go by Chick-fil-A? Hey, can we, can we? I have I have been known when I lived there, if, like, they did not have any ready, I'd be like, I can wait for it. Oh, my God. And I would seriously wait for them to get it. That's hilarious. It's so good. It's so good. I don't know. I just, I love this little town. I can walk from their house, from my in-law's house to downtown Carlisle and just like, I think I'm going to do it. I'm going to take my computer and I'm going to deck the walk to Denim Coffee and just get some coffee and sit in their little area and then just get some stuff done. Just get some stuff done, man. sounds very nice and relaxing. I'm I'm here for it. I'm going to do it. I'm just going to make a me day out of it. So go for it. Yeah. But that's all I got. Um, You will hear us again next week. Yes. Over Bethany's topic that I don't know about. Yes. Um, and that's all I got for now. I hope you guys had a fantastic January. Remember, as always, do something nice for somebody and take care of yourself first and foremost. So, anything else you want to say? That's it. Just uh, be good to yourself this week. Okie doke. Love you guys. Bye. Bye.